First reading is from Isaiah. I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask, to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and offering incense on bricks, who sit inside tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh with broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. There's a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. See, it is written before me. I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their laps, their inequities and their ancestors' inequities together, says the Lord, because I am because they offered incest on the mountains and reviled me on the hills, I will measure into their laps full payment for their actions. Thus says the Lord, as the wine is found in the cluster and they say, do not destroy it, for there is blessing in it. So I will do so for my servant's sake. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, inheritors of my mountain. My chosen shall inherit it. My servants shall settle there. The second reading is from Galatians. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guard, guarded under the faith, under the law, until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we may be justified by faith. But now faith has come. We are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves in, with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Holy wisdom, holy word. as we invite the word to change us and work in us. Our gospel today comes from Luke, the eighth chapter. Then Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, for he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. 
they begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine were feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. As time has gone by, the... uh, the longer I've been in ministry, I see the job changes over the years. Some of the things I used to do more often a while back, I don't do as much anymore. I find that I'm very seldom called on to do premarital counseling anymore, which is probably just as good. Uh, in fact, counseling really of almost any description, I find very few people call for that. Another thing that I don't do much of, and quite frankly, I can't remember ever having done it, is doing an exorcism. If there's anyone out there who's been thinking of calling, just let me know. Um, I have never been called on to do an exorcism. I've never seen an exorcism. I've never been good at that. Any Hannah Goodman, whatever it is, stuff, you know, demon leave. And so this story has a certain exotic sexiness about it. Uh, Jesus shows up by boat to this area of the Gerasenes around the city Gerasa. And uh, he is met first by this wild and woolly one who spends his time in the cemetery howling at the moon and we are told that he is possessed by demons. Now I've never driven out a demon but I suppose over time perhaps I have a little bit of skill at recognizing demons. Demons 
always seem to be around. It's only the names that seem to change. Change by, I suppose, each generation. Each generation renames its own demons. And it seems the demons that I see around most often today are depression, anxiety, fear, violence, hatred. Although I wonder sometimes if those are actually the names of the demons or whether those are more symptoms and that the demons have deeper names. Maybe names like self-loathing or insecurity. Or maybe even names deeper than that. T.S. Eliot in his poetry about cats talks about cats having multiple names. One of which is the deep secret name that only the cat knows itself. And sometimes I think the deeper we dig, the closer we get to that ineffable name of the demon within us. The demons that haunt in one way or another all of us. If you want to locate the demons, look for the ones who won't come into the light. Look for that within you that you are least likely to share with anyone else. That within you that remains unnamed. And you're probably getting close. This area around the city of Jerusalem must have known this guy because it talks about how he would break his bonds and go wandering around and obviously they kept catching him and putting him back in chains. He must have invoked a certain amount of fear because they have separated him away. They have confined him to the cemetery and put him under guard. Parts of this story seem very exotic, you know, that whole idea of driving out demons, exorcism, but part of it seems dreadfully familiar. Because I may not know how to drive out demons, but I have seen what demons do to people. And one of the things that demons are very good at in trying to hide their own name is at pointing at others identifying the demons in other people so that we can all gather together and feel better about ourselves. And it sounds like that's what this community has done. They've gathered together in identifying the name of this demon who resides in this man. 
And then as if in an act of communal exorcism, they have driven him out of their midst, imprisoned and confined him out of sight, out of mind. And they point to him and say, look how many demons he has. There's an odd detail about this story, though. It says that Jesus arrives by boat to the land of the Gerasenes. The only problem is that Jerusalem lies 30 miles inland. Why Jerusalem? Well, shortly before the writing of the Gospel of Luke, Jerusa had been one of the towns that had been swept up in the first Jewish uprising. And in crushing that uprising, Rome had descended on this place like a plague of locusts. They had sent a legion there to crush this rebellion. And doubtless, this was a memory that was fresh in the minds of the people in this area. And you can imagine if the government had just crushed a rebellion in your area and then someone starts acting up. You don't want that to happen again. And so you come down on them like a ton of rocks. And the name of that demon of fear was legion. I think maybe Luke gives a clue to what this story is about in the name of that demon. A demon that represented not just this individual but this whole community of which he had become the scapegoat. But one of the things about demons is demons are non-transferable, at least between people. And what the people fail to recognize is that that multitudinous demon named Legion is also their demon as well. But we don't like looking at our own demons. It's painful. It's always easier to look outward at the demons of other people, to name those demons rather than name our own. And when we're forced to name our own, too often we turn violent in our attempts to avoid that discomfort. It's so much easier to identify someone else or another group. The demon of mass fear in World War II, it became so much easier just to lay it on those Japanese Americans. Let's just put them away. Or today, it's so much easier to just say, let's just put it on those immigrants. They're the ones who are causing us 
to not be what we want to be. They're the ones who are robbing us of opportunity. They're the ones. As long as we can do that, we don't have to look at ourselves. And I got a feeling maybe that's why the people end up driving Jesus out of their midst. Because if Jesus can name this demon in this individual and put him in his right mind, what might he do to us? He might start naming our demons. If you want to know the name of the demon, look for the one who won't come to the light. If you want to know the name of Jesus, look for the one around you, not who names the demon in you, that's scapegoating, but the one who helps you name it for yourself. The one who helps you to bring that one to the light and to lay it at the feet of Jesus because that's what this story is ultimately about. We don't have the power to drive out demons. We only have the power to come to the one who can. And the frightening thing about this is that we are helpless. And it's in admitting that helplessness that finally that demon can come to the surface, be named, and by God's grace, leave us. If we take seriously what we say we believe, that we become the body of Christ in sharing this meal, if we take seriously our belief that we are all of us part of that divine family, then we have the power to do that for each other. The power to support each other, to encourage each other, to help each other deal with the pain of naming our demons. And then to remind each other of the grace and the mercy that ultimately drives those demons out. I always marvel at the fact that Jesus didn't just pass his wisdom and his teachings onto one person. It wasn't this secret thing that gets passed on from one master to another. Rather, he creates a community in which those teachings and in which his presence can continue on. He does everything in community, recognizing, I think, and underscoring the fact that we only encounter Christ in living, breathing people. We only encounter Christ in each other. We only encounter Christ when we gather around the word, when we gather around the meal, when in our confession we confess our demons and in forgiveness bring our helplessness to God and receive that 
precious word of wholeness. And we are drawn just a little closer into God's self. Just a little closer into that kingdom. Just a little closer to that day when everything becomes right and whole and good. Amen.